welcome to Five Alive. It's wonderful to have you joining us today. We have been talking about the forefathers of biblical scripture through the past couple of weeks, and today we are going to talk about Father Jacob. So we have talked about Noah, we have talked about Abraham and Adam and Eve, and we have talked about who last week? Rebecca. And? Isaac. Isaac and Rebecca. And today, as we talk about Jacob, there are a few things I want to remind us of, and that is in Matthew chapter 22, verse 32, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And this is important for us to recognize that though we have read the history of what happened with Abraham, he may be dead on this earth. However, he is alive with Christ. Isaac, we read about last week, he may be dead on this earth, but he is alive with Christ. And Jacob, the same thing. We're going to talk about him, part of his life today. He may be dead on this earth, but he is alive with Christ. And the same promise is there for you and for me, as we believe in the future, which is founded on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, even though trials and troubles and persecutions and problems and sin may be running rampant on this earth, we still have a future in Christ where we are continuously alive. Now, there are many people out there in the world that they like to talk about the Bible and try and dismantle the scriptures historicity as well as other parts of the Bible and they just kind of slough it off saying they're just fairy stories for people who are afraid of the dark however have you ever noticed so far how explicit the Bible is on our fathers father Abraham Isaac and today we're gonna to talk about Jacob it doesn't just mention that these are perfect heroes and everything they did was leading up to this great pinnacle where everything was going to become perfect for them and they were never going to have any troubles ever again. Instead, we see that Abraham, Isaac, and today we'll see that Jacob are filled with flaws, mistakes, sin, and just flat out dumb decisions. Yet, the Bible doesn't try and cover it up. There's no excuses given and zero justification for the bad actions. Instead, God, despite man's error, continues his perfect will. This is encouraging also for us that not only can we, as we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, remain alive in him even after we leave this earth, but it is also encouraging to see that despite my shortcomings, God is still present for me. The caveat is, of course, naturally, the part that we've got to remember that I therefore cannot remain in my sin nor can I buckle down in my faults, my mistakes, or my bad actions. Instead, as we saw with Father Abraham, I must justify my faith and not continue to try and find a remedy to cover up my sins. So the encouraging things that we take so far from these stories that we've been reading about, these biblical stories that we've been reading about, is that there is a future, it is found in Christ, and the encouragement is, despite my shortcomings, God is still present, helping me to perfect who I am in Christ Jesus, so that that way I can remain alive in him. Now, before we get started with Jacob, let me ask you guys one simple question. What does God change Jacob's name to? Israel. 
Yes, Israel is exactly what God changes Jacob's name to. So when you think of that country that was refounded again in 1948 in the Middle East, so on one side is Jordan, on the other side is the Mediterranean Sea, above it is Syria, below it is part of Saudi Arabia, that country, Israel, is named after Father Jacob. This is important for us to recognize but it's also important for us to understand that Jacob was not a perfect person. Though he was the father of a nation, he can, the Abrahamic blessing continued to be passed on to him despite him being extremely deceptive. The first thing that we're going to talk about in Jacob's deception is today, his birthright. Mallory, can you recall for us the story of what happens that Jacob gets the birthright from his older brother, though he's his twin, his older brother Esau. I don't remember how the plan started, but I do remember the story of how he got his birthright. Okay, that's what I'm asking for. Okay. Perfect. So Jacob was making some red stew for his whole entire family because he's a mama's boy. And so then... Uh, Esau came in saying, oh man, I'm really hungry. Can I have some of that stew because it smells so good? And Jacob was like, oh, you know what I can do? I can get his birthright from this. And he said, give me your birthright, brother, and I will give you a taste of my stew. And he said, but Jacob, I can't give away my birthright. I'm the oldest. And he's like, Give me your birthright, brother, or I'll give you the stew. Then I'll give you the stew. He's like, oh, I don't know what to do. And so then he's like, give me your birthright, brother. I'll give you the stew. He's like, okay, I'll give you my birthright for the stew. And that is how he got his birthright. Excellent. And if you want to follow up on Mallory's story, you can find that in Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 through 34. What exactly is going on here? Jacob is deceiving his brother in order to get the birthright. Is Jacob alone in the error that occurs in this story? No. Because Esau could have just denied his brother his birthright and gone and made his own food and anything else. Yeah, he could have gone and got himself some Maggie and some sauce, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not really, but he didn't have to sell his birthright for a bowl of stew, did he? No. So Esau's partially an error here, but we also see the, the connivingness of Jacob. And of course, Jacob's name does have a similar meaning to this. And so you'll see, you see later on that the reason they called him Jacob or they named him Jacob is because it meant that he was a schemer. And so he schemed to take uh, uh, Esau's birthright away from him. And yet, who is not present in this story? We have Jacob, we have Esau, and we have deception going on. But who is it that's not mentioned in this story? Their parents? The parents aren't mentioned in the story. Who else isn't mentioned in the story? Just kind of a, a dialogue between two people, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know who else spiritually or in the hidden shadows isn't mentioned? God. Satan. Oh, Satan. Or God. 
but Satan's not mentioned specifically, and he's not mentioned, yet that is something that we always like to do as we, especially in this day and age, we like to blame things on, oh, it was the curse of the evil eye, or it's because of this that this happened, or it's because of that, or it's, it's all the devil. The devil was really scheming behind this. Guess what, folks? People are people, and we're born into sin, we're born into wickedness, and deception is part of it. We don't always have to give the devil credit for things that we automatically do ourselves to hate on others. And that's what we have here. We have Jacob and Esau. They're fighting against each other. They're a little, they're a little bit of a conflict there, sibling rivalry, if you will. And a part of that sibling rivalry results in Jacob taking away Esau's birthright, Esau not really caring about his birthright at all in the first place, and going ahead and selling it on to Jacob. And so that's what we have going on. The next thing that we find with Jacob and Esau, another embattlement that they have, is what happens whenever Isaac, getting old in age, being blind, comes to Esau and he says, or has Esau called to him, I should say. He doesn't go to Esau because he's blind. So he has Esau come to him and he says, I'm going to give you a blessing. Xavier, you have that for us. And as you said, Isaac, 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 would Isaac his calls in Esau to tell him to go make delicious food for him. And then he will come and then for him to come back with the delicious food to feed him. And then he will give him his blessing. So then Esau goes out to go hunting for the food. And Rebecca overhears what Isaac tells to Esau and goes and grabs Jacob and says, quick, go get two goats from the pen and kill them and give them to me and I'll make the delicious food for your father. That way you will get the blessing and not your brother. He said, okay, I'll do that. But how is dad going to know it's me? Because Esau is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. <laughs> so she said, just leave that up to me and I'll make the food. So Rebecca goes and makes the food, the delicious food, and then um, takes the, um, the skin and the fur from the goats and puts it on Jacob's arms and his neck. And she also takes Esau's clothing, his best clothing, and puts it on Jacob and sends him in with the food. And so then Jacob comes in. And with doubt, Isaac does not believe it's Esau, his son, because it's Jacob's voice. But then he feels Jacob's arms and it's hairy and he smells like Jacob because he's wearing, I mean, he smells like Esau because Jacob is wearing Esau's clothes. So then inevitably, Isaac gives Jacob Esau's blessing. So then a few moments later, Jacob had already left and gone back to his own tent area because I, according to what I understand, it's a big complex that they live in. Right. And Esau comes in with the food he already prepared. And he comes to his dad and he said, hey, dad, I'm here. Where's my blessing? <laughs> and Isaac says, well, who was just in here a moment ago giving me the food and who I just blessed? And he's like, that must have been your brother, Jacob. And then Esau puts down the food and cries out with a loud cry and starts sobbing and saying, man, Jacob's name is truly fitting because he's deceived me out of my blessing and out of my birthright. And then he begs his dad for his blessing. And since Isaac has nothing left to give him because he's given it all to Jacob, he says that um, 
Esau will go into the wilderness and live on his own and that he will become a nation there. And then um, after that, Esau leaves the tent and decides to kill his brother, which then Rebekah is told. And so then she goes to to Jacob to send him away to her brother, mm-hmm. her brother Laban in Haran, so that way he will not have to marry a Hittite woman, and so that way he will escape the wrath of his brother. Very good. That's exactly what's going on. And so we have the birthright. We have some deception going on. We have a man who could care less about the birthright. Now we have the blessing that Isaac is going to give his son Esau, his firstborn son. And we have, again, deception going on. What is Rebecca's role in this? Instigator. Yeah, definitely. How, how instigating is she? I mean, does she have favorites? Yes. Yes. <laughs> she obviously has favorites in uh, which son she likes over the other one. Mallory even opened up her retelling of the birthright story saying Jacob was a what? Mama's boy. Yeah, mama's boy. And so, go ahead. In my, in my Bible, it's uh-huh. like earlier, like later when I was younger, I was reading this and it was saying, so who, like, which brother was the favorite towards the parents? And of course... The mother's was Jacob, and the father was Esau's because Esau's the oldest, so he would favor him more. So that's why she would help out Jacob because she loved him more than Esau. Yeah, yeah. And Jacob, he hung out at the tents. He took care of like finances. He was a big, more of a politician kind of a guy, whereas Esau was more a person who liked to go out, be alone, hunt maybe take a couple of guys and they all would go in a, in a group and they would go hunting and stuff like that. And Isaac enjoyed hunting. So his favorite was also Esau for that, that side of it as well is because it was like, Hey, that's the stuff that I really enjoy doing. And my son enjoys doing that. So therefore he kind of favored Esau more as well. Here's some of the things that Rebecca does after overhearing Isaac talking to Esau, she plans out a meal She picks out a wardrobe and she puts makeup basically on her son. I mean, goat skins and the hair on his hands and on his neck so that that way he will be able to fool his father. So Rebecca's rather uh, involved in this instigation. It's not like, you know, sometimes when we instigate somebody to do something, it's just like we convince them that they want to do it and then we leave them alone and they follow through with the plan but i mean rebecca's quite involved in this in this uh this deception if you will however do we see jacob like mom i don't want to do this this is esau's or do we see him very complicit and ready to go take his father's blessing he's pretty complicit and ready to go but then at the same time he was worried that he'd get a curse upon him yeah and so she said well she also which i forgot to put in she said, if you are cursed, let that curse become upon me because I'm the one who's doing everything. Yeah, so he's not really worried about the crime. He's just worried about getting caught, basically, yeah. is what we have going on here. And so in life, maybe you're being convinced by somebody to do something that you're not supposed to. And as they're convincing you to do that, they say, oh, don't worry about getting caught. If you get caught, I'll take all of the rap." Does that mean that you automatically give in to it? Does that mean that you automatically do it? Well, we see that Jacob does. If it was me and someone said, oh, I'll take the blame, I wouldn't trust them. You wouldn't trust them? No, because I, like, it's either that I know my friends so well that they'll immediately blame it on me 
and so then I won't do it. Or I'll just say, oh, we can't do this, and then allow them to do it by themselves and me not doing anything. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I, I flip I flip it around. Okay. <laughs> Reverse psychology. Oh, my goodness. So we see uh, that Jacob's complicit. He wants to do it. He doesn't want to get caught. But then Xavier already described to us the repercussions, that there were repercussions for him doing this. And they were that Esau hated Jacob, wanted to kill him. And so therefore, and Rebecca is so fearful that this is really going to happen, that she wants to send him off to her brother Laban in the land of Haran, because there are repercussions for our actions, aren't there? So Jacob goes to Laban's house. There he meets a group of shepherds. They're all kind of chilling out. And he asks them where Laban's house is. And they say, oh, well, his house is over in that direction. As a matter of fact, here comes his daughter right now because his daughter was a shepherdess. And so she's taking care of Laban's sheep and she's bringing the sheep. And Jacob's like, she's coming at the wrong time of day because it's the middle of the day. What she needs to do is she needs to quickly water the sheep and get them back out so that, that they can eat some more before the sun sets. So uh, Jacob removes the stone from the water well so that that way the sheep can eat. And then he introduces himself to Rachel and they have a good conversation. And he says, I want to go to your dad's house. And she says, yeah, come on, let's go. And so they go on there. And then as he starts meeting his family on his mom's side, his maternal family, he falls in love with Rachel. And he says, man, Laban, Uncle Laban, your daughter's really beautiful. I want to marry her. And Laban's like, absolutely. What will the bride price be? What are you going to give me in order to take her as your bride? You've come here as a nomad wandering with absolutely nothing. What do I get in return? And so they make a deal. They make a contract that Jacob will work for how long? Seven years. Seven years to get Rachel as his wife. And so he goes and he works those seven years. And the Bible says that the seven years were as if they were just seven days. He was so in love with Rachel. Oh, she's so beautiful. And so he works those seven years. The day comes. Laban says, you've worked seven years. Now I'll let you marry my daughter. They have a huge blowout wedding. They party like it's 1999. That's a joke, by the way. Bad joke, maybe. Anyways, they party. They get all drunk and whatever else. And Jacob parties just as hard as he possibly can. In fact, he parties so hard that when he goes to his tent in order to meet his wife, he goes in, he has sex with her, or as the Bible says, he entered her. And when he wakes up in the morning and the, uh, the, the, the blackout, drunk, wore off, is is there he looks over at the person in bed with him and it's not Rachel it's her sister Leah and Jacob freaks out what in the world is going on why in the world I got the switcheroo of a lifetime going on here what is going on and so he runs to Laban, obviously angry, and obviously he consummated the marriage with the act of entering into Leah. And Laban goes, ah, don't worry about it. We have a custom here that we can never marry the youngest before the oldest gets married. And of course, if you live here in India, you've heard this most of your life. 
And that is the same kind of custom that they have right here in the Bible. The old can't get married until the younger does, and the father's willing to give both daughters to Jacob. And so he says, finish the wedding week out, then you can marry Rachel. And Jacob agrees, oh, for another seven years worth of work, by the way. So they enter into another contract of seven more years of hard labor for Jacob so that that way he can be married to Rachel. And they finish the wedding week. He and Leah finish the wedding week. He then gets Rachel and he has this contract to work for another seven years. So what we have here is we now have the deception occurring. So first we see the birthright deception with Jacob and Esau. Then we see Jacob deceive his father Isaac with the help of his mother so that that way he can take Esau's blessing. And then we see Laban deceiving Jacob with a different wife than he was anticipating getting. In fact, Jacob wasn't really planning on marrying two women. He was just planning on being a monogamous man married to one. And yet because of these circumstances, he ends up finding himself in a place where he is complicit with not a monogamous marriage, but a polygamous marriage instead. What do you guys think of the story of Laban and Jacob and Leah and Rachel? It's pretty wild, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And yet the Bible is very explicit talking about a, there should be a man with one wife. There should be a man that does not have other wives. There should be, if you were a righteous man, like it has all these stipulations that we read about. And yet we see Father Jacob, soon to be Father Israel, is breaking these commands that have been given to him. In fact, they've been passed on from his grandfather, Abraham, and yet he's complicit in following those things. And we could blame the devil. We can blame evil. We can blame all kinds of other things. But isn't Jacob just complicit in wanting to go along with these things? Mm -hmm. And often we can find ourselves doing the very same thing. We can find ourselves complicit in evil all around us. So therefore we just give in to the evil knowing that it's wrong and needing a savior to rescue us from all these things. We have three blessings that have occurred so far. We have the birthright, we have the blessing of Isaac, and we have the blood twice, and we have, the, we have another blessing that's going on, and that is the blessing of God. So if you wanna read the story of Jacob's blessing that he received from Isaac, you can read that in Genesis chapter 27. If you want to read about the story of Jacob and Laban, you can read that in Genesis chapter 29. And if you want to see the story that's in between, which is the story of God blessing Jacob, you can read that in Genesis chapter 28. Now, when Isaac gave Jacob a blessing, he said that he was going to pass on the blessing of father Abraham on to Jacob. And we can see that in Genesis chapter 28, verses 1 to 4. Blair, would you read those for us? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethul, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, 
that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thank you so much. And later, Jacob leaves. He's going to Laban. We're kind of backtracking a little bit here in between the, the blessing of Isaac and going to Laban. And Jacob, on his way to the place of Laban, has a dream. And in that dream, Jacob sees a ladder going from the earth to heaven. And there are angels ascending and descending on it. And as Jacob is there, God speaks and he says, and behold, the Lord stood above the ladder, this ladder that he sees the angels on. And he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So this is the promise that God spoke to Abraham. God then spoke it to Isaac and said, I am giving you this blessing as well. And here we see Jacob receives the very blessing that Abraham and Isaac have and the very blessing that Isaac had passed on to Jacob in his blessing twice. He's now passed being given it by God Almighty himself. So this is a very important thing for us to recognize. And that's why later on Jacob's name will be considered Israel or changed to Israel is because despite everything, God is in control. But notice in this portion of scripture where we have the dream of Jacob, where he sees this ladder ascending and descending, he sees this place as being a holy place. He sees this land as being the land he's going to inherit himself. In our modern naive mindset, we think that this means that Jacob is never going to have any problems. God blessed him. God's given him a promise. There's not going to be any hardship for this guy. But how ignorant can we really be? That's why I went ahead and told the story of Laban's deceit before I talked about this so that that way we can see that immediately... Jacob is going to be deceived by somebody else. Immediately, Jacob is going to face hardship. Immediately, Jacob is going to face problems and the opportunity to make really foolish decisions, and he's going to give in to them. But who is still there working on Jacob's behalf? Rebecca. God. God. Yes. Oh, God. God. <laughs> Rebecca. <laughs> You should keep that in. <laughs> no, God. <laughs> Rebecca. Rebecca. <laughs> oh, my God. goodness. That's funny. Yeah, God is still working on behalf of Jacob. In the middle of his trial, in the middle of his waking up to Leah in sheer panic with a hangover and going, whoa, wait a second, this isn't who I was supposed to marry. God was still with him when he made the poor decision to also marry Rachel. In addition to being married to Leah, God was still with him. A lot of times we think of God as being a harsh God that is immediate, 
directly after us for us to make a mistake. And when we do, he's ready to just beat the snot out of us and go, I knew you were going to mess up. But is that what we see here with what happens in Jacob's life? Is God immediately ready to strike him down with a lightning bolt? Is God immediately ready to curse him? Or is God continuing to work in in his life and on his behalf, calling him, Jacob, to become more like God because he will give his blessing, the one that he gave in his dream, to Jacob and to Leah and to Rachel. So we have three deceptions. We have three blessings. And this is the way life goes. Our lives are full of people trying to deceive us. And it's not always the devil, is it? Sometimes it's just people being mean. Have you ever had anybody be mean to you, Blair? Yes. Mallory, have you ever had somebody just flat out be mean to you? Yeah. Xavier? I'm sure I've been mean yeah. to yeah. other people. Yeah. Have you guys ever been mean to other people? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Well, only, yeah. I only be mean to people when they be mean to me. Like, whenever people are mean or they lied to me I used to smack them across the face because I didn't know any better but now I don't do that so I don't get in trouble yeah but who would you get in trouble by I have no idea when you're an adult who will you get in trouble by I might get the police called on you you might end up in jail you might have all these other things happen right yeah yeah that's possible and can God still work on your behalf If you're willing to admit your sin, admit your wrongdoing, and cling on to him and leave those things that you're not supposed to do? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so we have Jacob making a few very life-stabilizing errors, and yet we see him receive blessings from God despite his mistakes. How does that shake your faith or does it? Because don't we like to look at people who are religious or spiritual as absolutely perfect and nothing could ever happen wrong? Mm -hmm. Nothing could ever happen wrong. They could never make a mistake. They could never sin. We put them up on these pedestals like, oh, they would never do something like that. And then we find out that they are just as human as we are, and we're shocked by that. Oh my goodness, how could this possibly happen? How could they be human? How could they be just like me? But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were men. They had wives, and those women were just like women today. The men were just like men today. And yet God saw their faith And they justified themselves, not by their wrongdoing, not by the things that they did deceptively, not by the things that they did in order to cheat or steal or rob or commit adultery or any of those things. Instead, they justified themselves according to their faith. And that's why God saw them as righteous men. And the same is true for us today. That righteousness now is not done through our own actions. It's impossible. We cannot do it alone. Instead, we need somebody to do it on our behalf. The perfect sacrifice. Who is whom? Jesus. God. Jesus. Christ. 
our Lord. <laughs> Jesus. The Holy Spirit. Christ. Holy Ghost. Our Lord. <laughs> I mean, it's through Jesus that we achieve righteousness. It's through the blood that he shed on the cross for us that we are redeemed. It is by the work that he did on our behalf that we will have eternal life with him in heaven. You say, but wait a second, why is it changed? Well, because there was an old covenant in the Old Testament. That's the one we're talking about, the covenant that God made with Abraham and he passed on to Isaac and he passed on to Jacob. But that covenant wasn't really working in the way that all of the nations were blessed. So God brought a second covenant and the second covenant was solidified and sealed by the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus and through the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob comes the lineage of a man that was born over 2,000 years ago to a, a man named Joseph and a woman named Mary was raised in the city of Nazareth and he died on a cross for all of our sins because that promise that promise that God gave to Jacob right here in verse 20, chapter 28, verse 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That is because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day, and that we will love you always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Five alive out.